Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 15. Don't call it a comeback. Hello, Big Chillians. Welcome back to The Big Chill Podcast. Guys, I want to start off with something that popped up on my Instagram that I thought was pretty crazy. Happy Gilmore turned 25 years old the other day. Yeah, I saw that because I saw him do the Gilmore swing and I saw uh, Shooter McGavin like respond to him. So I saw saw all of that. It looked a little. <laughs> I love, wait, wait! I love that you called him Shooter McGavin. <laughs> I don't. I don't know his real name. In fairness, so, like, I saw I Adam Sandler post his Instagram, and then Shooter McGavin replied to him. <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment of their two careers. It he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Look, I'm not. I'm sure he's been tremendously successful. I'm sure he's pretty happy with his career as an actor. But none of us can name him, right? I mean, I know you're you're now furiously googling him, so you can be you can say his name, but you don't know who he is. <laughs> Shout out to Christopher McDonald. <laughs> okay, <laughs> very recognizable. I'm sure he's very happy with how his career has gone. Probably made a decent amount of money. Had yeah. one iconic role, which I think for most actors, like that's a pretty cool thing to have. But 25 years later, he's still Shooter McGavin, and Adam Sandler is Adam Sandler. I mean, that's one of the best ways to start, right? You know, you get the break early on and then you just kind of sit on the residual income of that movie and the constant kind of cult around it. Yeah, I will say he was looking pretty old, which makes sense. It was 25 years ago, but Adam Sandler still kind of looks just like Adam Sandler. Like he's not aged that much. Whereas Shooter McGavin, it was like, oh, Shooter McGavin looks like Happy Gilmore was 25 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, he hit that threshold like that. 60 threshold where once you hit it you're just like oh man now they look old (laughs) yeah like like the president thing he's he's a late-term president where you suddenly realize that they've they've aged oh so you mean like a president that's in like the seventh or eighth year yeah yeah i mean i will say that's one of those things when people are like look at how much being the president ages you it's like well no the guy's been president for eight years and eight years when I guess a middle-aged person. So he's just transitioned from like a young middle-aged person to an old middle-aged person is like typically what happens. I'm not downplaying the stress of the job or whatever, but it's like, isn't it crazy how much, Ob- how much older Obama looks? And it's like, well, when you first saw him, he was like in his early forties and now he's 60. So yeah, it makes sense that he looks older. Yeah. And I, I, I legitimately think there's like a threshold with people, you know, like you've hit that threshold and it kind of just, there's like a noticeable difference, you know, before and after that. Yeah. I think you have that every stage though, right? Like there's the teenage threshold, then there's like oh, the twenties yeah. threshold, then there's the thirties threshold. I mean, we saw that with you today, Frank, right? Cause you shared a picture with our group of you. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. But you shared that picture of you from eight years ago and, and Sam attacked you for your nineties style and in that thirteen. Hey, saying someone's got a nineties style is not an attack. It's just, you looked <laughs> photoshopped from a different decade into that photo (laughs) (laughs) that was eight years ago and it looked like for me it was 15 i think it looked like that for all of us except me because i'm not in the photo because you're not a winner of pub quiz it would be an interesting (laughs) one to be like who 
who's had the roughest eight years out of that group. (laughs) (laughs) That would be the real discussion from there. What do you mean kind of like the looks side or do you mean like from that point to now who's had the roughest, like the hardest life? I I mean more from that point to now. Uh, I don't think, and look, no one in there has had a ridiculously tough time, nor has anyone aged ridiculously badly within the group. But it is just, there have been a lot of life changes for almost every person in that group in that eight-year period, which is normal. It's eight years. But it's it would be funny for which person would be like, if we could, if you had the option of going back in time to those eight years, it would be interesting to know who would want to go back the most. I think it would be an interesting interesting debate it would be very interesting yeah there might be some fights brewing on who gets to go back <laughs> yeah if it was like a, if it was like a one pass only one person could do it there might be some murders that's funny no carissa put up a picture it was i think six years ago and it was me her and our dog when we had just gotten beans and I made the comment, I said, out of the three of us, who's aged the worst? And the dog is literally like a puppy. And I still think I've aged worse. That's <laughs> yeah, also tough because your dog like has so many health problems as well. Yeah. But yeah, I thought the Happy Gilmore part was interesting. Uh, and then Eddie mentioned that he did the patented... Gilmore swing on the on the course and he says he hit it dead straight which who knows I mean maybe it is Adam Sandler good. a trustworthy it guy I don't know good. it sounded yeah, it, good it did sound, it did sound good, good off good. the club but the run-up looked half fast. it wasn't the full happy Gilmore it's like when they ask professional golfers because they always do that challenge and when they ask them to do the happy Gilmore yeah like it's not the movie happy, which I get like the full on sprint towards the T like you just can't do it. So instead it's like one skip and swing. Like it's a very different thing to like how it actually was portrayed in the movie. That got me thinking, is that the most uh, like imitated thing in sports that everyone tries to do like everyone who picks up a golf club do they do that because the only other one i could kind of think of is in mighty ducks the knuckle puck whenever someone plays hockey especially people who don't normally play hockey they'll be like oh let me do the knuckle puck Mm -hmm. and like they'll they'll flip it on its side and try and hit it that was the problem though people have to play hockey to imitate it yeah (laughs) also i think it's happy gilmore i don't think it's close and i also think it's cross generational which is the difference like I know, for example, that my dad will occasionally driving range attempt the Happy Gilmore swing. Oh, that's I'll, amazing. I, I want to like, see that. <laughs> like, I'll do it. You know that young people are doing it because like, you even see you know, professional golfers who are like 19, 20 trying it out. So you're basically getting a range of like 40 years of people still doing it, which there's no way. Like, I don't, th- I mean, I guess Mighty Ducks might just still be iconic for hockey people in the hockey community but i very much doubt it resonates with like a 13 year old the way it did when you were like a kid and it came out yeah the other one i thought of that kind of counts but kind of doesn't is like the imitation of rocky like going up the steps in his training and then doing his little dance at the top of the steps i'm sure like a large amount of people have done that yeah yeah fundamentally that's just running up some stairs and, and celebrating yeah. when you're at the top of the stairs. 
Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's iconic to Rocky, but like the Happy Gilmore swing was a unique thing at that time, and it had never been done as yeah. now associated. Like running up some stairs is something that has been done. Yeah, it's tough to think of actually anything else that comes remotely close. You also like everything else becomes niche. Like golf is a niche sport, but fun. Like you, you can be crap at golf and try that. Like the one time you pick up a golf yeah. club, you're gonna try the Happy Gilmore swing. So, Especially like, like now with like Top Golf and everyone yeah. kind of just going to Top Golf to like spend that's, the night out. That's risky though, because often you're a f- like a floor up. So if you, <laughs> if you get a little too enthusiastic <laughs> with the Happy Gilmore, you might find yourself falling 15 feet. Oh, that would be funny to watch. Did we ever do that when we met up and went to like the Greenwich Peninsula Golf? I can't really remember, but have we ever done a... No, the only no. thing we did was a driving contest that I demolished Eddie in. Oh, God. We'll have a rematch this summer, and we'll put it up on the Big Jill podcast uh, Instagram for everyone to see. Maybe next year when we're allowed back in the country. <laughs> now, I know, Frank, you like to often give us trivia. And I thought I would test your sports knowledge a little bit to get us underway. Purple. And Sam, you can you can also contribute. This is Frank has a slight edge here, but you both have a chance. So only six teams have failed to produce an NFL MVP. Can you name them? Wow. That is a tough one. Jaguars. Sam has one. Lions? Incorrect. I'll lean on my one. <laughs> Who's your guess, Frank? Well, like the Houston Texans. Correct. It's 1-1. One, one. All right, Sam, your guess. The Rams? Incorrect. No, Kurt Warner. Yeah. All right, Frank, you're up. Uh, Carolina Panthers. Incorrect. Uh, Cam Newton won an MVP, didn't he? Oh, that's right. Newton, I forgot about Newton. Is he still even alive? <laughs> he's he's just buried under his hats. <laughs> Damn, that's stupid. I should have known that one. All right, Sam. Jets. Correct. Two one. Surprising because I would have thought nice. that like Namath or Namath. someone in that era would have won it, but I guess they have been pretty bad for a long time, so it makes sense. Maybe. I don't know if Jim Kelly's one, but maybe the Bills? Incorrect. Yeah. Ooh, chance for Sam to yeah. steal. If you if you get if you go three one up, it's it's, it's stormy. Yeah, it's stormy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh. It's amazing how quickly you forget about teams when the season isn't going. <laughs> oh, I think I've got uh, one. Oh, he's trying to crank up the pressure. The Titans? No, incorrect. Cardinals. 2 2. <laughs> All right. Two teams left to get. The Bengals. That was going to be incorrect. Guess. No, it's Oof. wrong. I mean, I have to go with them. The Browns? Incorrect. Ah. 
I'm assuming that yeah. Jim Brown won an NFL MVP, even if no one else from the Browns has. All right, Sam. You're, I mean, you're you're narrowing the field down, especially I'm honestly running out of teams. <laughs> I I'll give the only clue I'll give here. I'll give well, I'll save the biggest clue, but I will say that one of these teams would really surprise you. Oh God, is that like clickbait? Yeah. <laughs> and all you have to do is look you at seven pictures. You won't believe what team <laughs> never won. You won't believe pick five. <laughs> it's true. You will not believe team five. This is a really bad one, but I'm going to go the Raiders. Incorrect. I knew it was wrong. I just needed to take the pressure off me. Ravens? Incorrect. Next one oh, the before there were the Ravens. The only other clue I can, I'll say, okay, I'll, I'll give you this. Both of these teams have won a Super Bowl in the past thirty years. The Bucks. Correct. So Sam, you can try and tie this up. So a Super Bowl winning team from the last thirty years. No MVP. And that this is the team that will surprise you. Just don't say Patriots, Sam. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was almost inclined to say the Dolphins, but they had a really good time at one point. So oh, also I said won a Super Bowl in the last 30 years. <laughs> well, I, I don't know the last 30 years of record. Um, I'll put it this way. Won a Super Bowl in the last 20 years. I'll even say this. You've watched them win a Super Bowl. The Broncos? No, that's a bad one. That's a bad guess. Well, I was thinking like... Idiot, Sam. Idiot. (laughs) The one I was thinking of was in that game, Peyton Manning didn't win it, right? No, well, we're talking regular season MVP here. Oh, Not Super Bowl MVP. Because if you win the Super Bowl... I half knew that. I just keep forgetting that there's that distinction. Raiders? I well, said that. Yeah, Sam's already said that. Also, I said won uh, a Super Bowl in the past 20 years. But I'll give another clue. Steelers? No. No. Uh, I'll give another clue. They were in the playoffs this year. Packers? No. Titans? No. <laughs> okay. You, Titans have Washington. Washington. <laughs> No, no, there's not a lot of playoff teams left from this year. Just speed round. Someone's going to get it. Why is this so tough? Um, I told you this one will surprise you. The, it was clickbait, but it was correct. Oh, this is the one that will surprise us? Yeah, yeah. This is the one that will surprise you. It's not the Patriots. <laughs> like, no. it's, we haven't Wouldn't surprise you that much. And they weren't in the playoffs this year. Also true. Saints. Correct. Finally, yes. thank you, Frank. <laughs> I mean, I was trying sense. to work through every team, and I was like, "No, they, no, no way, no way." <laughs> it makes sense, right? But you would have, in my mind, I kind of almost felt as if Drew Brees had won an MVP won over the course. Mm-hmm. But if you eliminate Drew Brees from the Saints and like then think of their history before, then it makes sense that they've never had a, a MVP player. Yeah. Well, there we go. That's no the one. trivia. That's the trivia for the day. I'm sure the listeners were probably screaming the Saints from like pick one, but yeah. uh, 
You should yeah, probably go some... ahead and edit out those gaps. <laughs> I think it's a good quiz question. I will say that you need in, only suitable for an audience that probably is pretty into the NFL, but it's it's an interesting one. So I actually had some interesting trivia because of the Champions League um, and obviously one of the main games or probably like the standout surprise was um, PSG's nothing short of demolition of Barcelona, even though uh, Eddie and myself, maybe even Frank tipped them up. Um, they... I, will, I will I will say we did all tip them. Well, we did all pick them. I don't think we tipped them. But for all of us, it was on the basis that Neymar was out. I think if if Neymar had been fit, I think we would have all picked PSG. That that kind of felt like the sentiment to me. That obviously yeah. was really wrong, but yeah. wasn't it just? But there were some interesting stats about that game that made me and imagine a lot of people as well kind of realize that maybe there is something really interesting terminal going on at Barcelona. Like an interesting stat for me was that they've had 151 home matches in European competitions. And this is the first time they've ever lost back to back. And considering, you know, how good the champions league is, how, um, how many good teams you play in that run. Um, I thought that was a pretty crazy statistic. Um, I don't think you'll be able to get this one, but this was going to be trivia, maybe more for Eddie than Frank. There was only three players that have scored a hat-trick against Barcelona in European competition. Mbappe is one of them. (laughs) I'll give you a hint. They're in our lifetime. So they both did it in 1997. (laughs) Makes it easier, right? I mean, do I? I guess I just name iconic for, forwards from the One of them is Ronaldo. iconic. Uh, one of them is iconic, and we even mentioned them in the Ballon d'Or. Ronaldo. Time. No. Batistuta. That's an interesting shout, but no. Oliver Bierhoff. This Benzema. is a great nostalgia trip. Okay, Benzema, no. <laughs> Michael Owen. Nope. We mentioned him in the Ballon d'Or. 1997, and we mentioned him in the Ballon d'Or. I could tell you his nationality, but that would give it away. He was Ukrainian. Shevchenko? It was Shevchenko. And the other one was Faustino Espria. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Who did he score the hat trick for? I, I, I think he did it for, wasn't it Newcastle? In the Champions League. In European competition. Oh, in European competition. So, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, they it were. It was, yeah. So, but this kind of got me thinking because there's a lot going on with Barcelona. Um, they had it at the start of the season with the Messi saga. Well, the Messi saga is a Messi saga. That's quite good. Um, there was a lot of question marks about the team, whether it's like, on the downhill now, whether they've um, kind of lost their main guard of players and the players coming through aren't there. But also they've got their presidential election coming up in March, which is just going to massively matter for that team. Um, 
Did you watch the game? Did you really feel like there's a bit of a changing of the guard with this Barcelona team? Or do you think this is just one of those classic Barca PSG games where they'll go and win the away leg 4-0 and qualify? I'd be stunned if they qualified. I mean, stunned. I Frank will remember, I didn't rule them out the time they had the huge comeback. This time I'm I'm totally ruling them out. Like I can't, there's nothing that I watched in that match to make me think that in any way, like it's not just, they didn't look like, they weren't really creating chances. They created a few in the first half and then obviously they had the penalty, but they're def- just defensively, they're awful. I mean, they have no one who can stop Mbappe. They're really slow at the back. They have the issue that Dembele does no defensive work whatsoever. So he just exposes whoever's playing behind him. And I just, I can't see a way back in for them. Also, I was speaking to Ollie during the match and we were talking about, I mean, I think Messi is the uh, right, the better player out of Ronaldo. Like the, the height of Messi, the prime of Messi is better than the prime of Ronaldo. And the magic of Messi is is more impressive. But his inability to kind of adapt as he's aged and to play a different role within that team has limited them as a side so much. And so you see it now where it's like they're still trying to be the like the Messi Barcelona. And at this point in his career, he should be not a bit part player, but more of a role player with other players taking the lead. And he kind of tried to do it in that match in the sense that he dropped really deep to try and pick the ball up. So he was trying to play a role that Mima wouldn't really associate with him. But it's just, I don't know. They didn't they didn't look good at all. They really didn't. But there was this one moment about 20 minutes in when they went one up and they were pressing. Barca were pressing and Dembele missed that really easy shot. Or, or like, what was it, like eight, 10 yards out or something like that. And there was this moment where in my head, the conversation was the complete opposite. I was starting to think like, well, hang on. This is a PSG team that aren't top of um, their domestic league. It's, it's unprecedented that they've lost like five games already this season. Neymar isn't playing. And here they are again against an under-firing Barcelona or an under-strength compared to their kind of golden days a decade ago. But... If that went 2-0, in my head, I was like, oh, this is a PSG classic scenario and Barca are back. So there's a real fine line here between now I'm, yeah. and now I'm thinking Barca have collapsed as a football team. And there was a moment where I was like, oh, this is the end of PSG, where like Mbappe is going to fuel transfer speculation if they lose this. Um, it, was, it was interesting just how much... And almost how fragile I think of these two giants. Oh, of fragile. Teams. One of the big chill podcasts keywords. Oh, nice. Who had nice fragile words. in this week's bingo? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're quite frail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're you're right. They're those that was a turning point. And if it had gone 2-0, probably the game goes very differently and we feel very differently about Barcelona and about PSG. I'll also say everyone feels really differently about Mbappe now than they did around a week ago because Mbappe yeah. has been killed all season long for not firing in the, in the domestic league, not really impressing in the champions league. And people have kind of been saying, Oh, 
maybe he's a one trick pony. And like, if the pace isn't just able to burn past people, then he's not quite as good as we thought we were. And now he's being crowned as the look he's shown on the biggest stage that he is the, he is the one that's going to inherit the sort of crown as this the next best player. So I did think that was a little bit interesting, just the recency bias in the reaction to one good performance and against a, it's Barcelona, but against defenders who I would be disappointed if some of those defenders were turning out for Blackburn. And that's, that is a very no, honest like, assessment um, of them. Dest at the back was absolutely torn apart. Um, Alba looks like a shadow of his former self as well. But th- we, we did this last summer. Barcelona got absolutely tanked by Bayern Munich. And we mentioned in that that they have this game every season at the moment. They have one game where they implode on the European stage and they may come back and beat PSG 1-0. Still go out and it may look like the damage is being kind of like, you know, you're putting a blaster over it, I guess. But um, they do this every time now. This is just becoming a thing with Barcelona. They have their one implosion in Europe, which costs them everything. Yeah, I mean they're just not that good anymore, right? Like if this were any if if you'd called by if Barcelona had been Sevilla and been playing in that match, same players, same form, same everything, everyone would have put PSG as favorites. So it's just the kind of name the strength of the name that made people feel like, well. And even like, oh, you have to go to the Camp Nou. Yeah, but it's empty. Like it's not it's not quite the same environment. It's not 90,000 people, you know, like it's not maybe quite as intimidating as it is under normal circumstances. But like PSG will go through. I think they'll have their PSG performance where they blow their Champions League effort in a later round. Like I, I don't think they're that good. So it hasn't changed my impression of them all that much. Uh, but Barcelona have to completely rebuild their team. Like start from scratch. Like I don't even know who from that side... I would really keep from the team that played on on Tuesday. Like I don't know. Like Griezmann is okay, but he's not really fulfilled his potential. Dembele, same. I don't really know who within that team is someone you think you can build around. I know they have other young players who might be the future, but from the actual t- players who started on Tuesday, I think he could sell them all. Yeah, I I actually don't disagree. I th- I think. They've got the presidential election coming up next month. That usually defines like a massive amount of direction for Barcelona as well. But even if you're saying like, is it the end of the era? Is it, oh, are we just, is it just one bad result? Surely it kind of should just be the end of the era because Messi isn't getting younger. Like that team is so structured on one person who is inevitably in a year or two going. Oh, he's going this year. Well, I think now it's probably sorted. He's, he's out of contract, right? He's he's going. There's no way no. he's re-signing to stay with Barcelona. And let's the question be honest, is, he stayed there last time just because he gritted his teeth and didn't want a legal battle. Like, that's the only reason he yeah. stayed. But no now way. it's a question of where does he go? And now it's a question. I mean, if I were him, the concern for me is who's going to want me? Like, I, he, I think he seriously has to consider how well MLS. he can play. Yeah, like, you know the MLS is there because they'll see the the money. Yeah, but like for the and the ease. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. For him, nice lifestyle. But for all the like elite European clubs that might be interested in them, obviously, with City and PSG are the ones who he's most strongly linked with. 
you've got to seriously be considering uh, like whether or not it's worth it. I don't think it will work at PSG. I mean, is, is anyone seriously suggesting that you can have a team where Mbappe, Neymar and Messi play at the same time? It'd be fun. It would be interesting to see them. Just... It would be annoying to watch. Yeah. It would but be it would... so annoying to watch. The thing that would be about it, right, is that it would fail miserably at crucial moments, but there would be every once in a while where it would just be incredible. And so they would every once in a while in the Champions League, they would just rip apart a team because of just what they have. And then domestically, they would be turning up every and like you'd feel bad, but some random Friday night they'd be playing like Neem and they would just win 9-0. But they still week in, week out, I don't think it would be a system that could work. It would probably want to be they would probably become like what we were discussing the Chiefs were in the regular season. Where it's almost yeah. like they're in second gear, they just they just cruise through one nil, two nil, and then there'll be that moment where it's like, oh, they've just smashed. Like in fairness, right? So I read that Rangers once came close to signing uh, Ronaldo, not fat Ronaldo, as I guess um, <laughs> when he le- when he left Barcelona because uh, I mean I'm mixing this timeline up i'm sure but because he they offered him the chance to come to scotland and to not play domestic matches to only play european matches because it was like the late 90s when 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 rangers thought they had a chance of like competing on the european stage so they were going to offer him basically the same money he'd get anywhere else but he didn't have to play on saturdays and he supposedly really strongly considered the option to a cert- in a certain way, not that PSG would treat Messi in that way, but they might think Neymar is gone from February onwards every season. So maybe we just tell Messi, look, you just need to be fit and available from February 1st. And fundamentally, like the knockout stage of the Champions League is all we need you for. Mbappe will play the full season. Neymar will take care of the early half, do the Champions League group stages <laughs> and get us like a nice lead in the in, in Liga. And then you can take over and, and play in the Champions League final. I can imagine this kind of hilarious like trophy cabinet, but it's just defrosting players. Like kind of like see you later, Neymar, see you in six months. <laughs> like Ace Ventura. Uh yeah. yes, uh, Austin Powers. Sorry, Austin Powers. <laughs> yeah. And then just unfreezing him. But it's yeah, I I think if I if I was playing for Barcelona right now, if you're one of the very young players, you'd probably be thinking, okay, they can build something around me here and I could become the next star. But I think a lot of the players you mentioned, like Dembele, Griezmann, uh, you could even go down to like recent signings like De Jong. Um, Pjanic's only been there a couple of years as well. I would go. I would just be like, this is bit of a sinking ship at the moment and i'd probably want to get out of there because also yeah. the cash poor right so contractually these are going to be possible yeah. eventually as so. revealed on the big chill podcast <laughs> gotta be an interesting one right we, we spoke about how they had that two they only pay the players twice a year from a motivation standpoint that's also going to be an interesting one because theoretically they've just received their year's pay in in a lump sum now and now they don't care and now there's no more paychecks coming until june 
So or <laughs> July or whenever it is. Not that you, not that the club can like threaten. Well, I'm not going to pay you next week unless you play well. But there's True. still the. It's still like you're not even worrying about any of that. You're just kind of like, well, till June pays pays in the bank account. Can you imagine this really awkward scenario with like uh, fines? yellow cards red cards or something like that you've got this really timid accounts payable person just messaging Messi, going you had a booking so could you wire 500 euros to barcelona that's we've got to get a player on to talk about the fine system in football in particular i don't know how it works in in other european leagues but the fine system in english football i think as a concept the fine system is not the fine system that you m- might be hinting at there, which might be actually coming from the club in terms of penalties for sendings off and stuff. But in, in the like finding like players, finding other players for being late or being messy and that kind of, that kind of stuff that goes on. I think it's such a fascinating thing. It'd be interesting to apply it to the non-footballing world. Like it'd be interesting if at my work I'd get fined for being late I mean, I, I wouldn't have any money left. Or if I got fined for, <laughs> got fined for like, oh, you left your laptop open, you you get fined for that too. Like it would be very, very interesting. You could do fines where it like turns into drinking fines, like after the game or something oh, like that. That's, that's the like, like, culture you, you left, want to be. You left your, you didn't lock your screen, so you have three fingers worth of beer saved up for the end of the week. Sure, you're at your office offering three fingers to lots of people, Sam. <laughs> I was I tried to be very delicate about the way I mentioned fists. it, but it didn't work. Yeah, three fists of alcohol. No one uses that measurement, Sam. Why are you using that measurement? Doesn't have to be alcohol, just saying. <laughs> so going back to Messi, right? Man City is probably the only club, because I'm of the opinion that PSG and Barcelona just don't like each other at the moment there was that recent publishing in like Le Quip, wasn't there? With um, where they put Messi. On I like that you call it Le Quip. <laughs> What's actually, how would Le- you pronounce it? Le Quip. Le Quip. Le Quip. Okay. I like Le Quip um, more. It's, it's very literal. Yeah. It's they just fire off. They just dumb. fire off like little stories about people and just attack them. <laughs> oh, little quips. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. Um, I don't think PSG is viable. So really it's out of your Hey, you, you say this. City. You say this, Sam, but all the reports in France, Messi and his family are taking French lessons. This is this is in the press in in Paris. So, you know, the move is is further it's, along than we think. It's happening. Is this, maybe he's going is to Marseille or Monaco? That would be an interesting one. Ooh, Monaco. Just if if your if your lifestyle, or, or, you know, he just thinks, you know, what tax free, live in Monaco for the, just retire to Monaco, basically. I don't know if you're messy. I'd love it if he just signed for like some like Torquay. <laughs> he just decided, you know what? I've made all the money in the world. They've always said I can't do it on a, you know, cold rainy day in Stoke. I'll show them. I'm going to go conference football, like <laughs> really just embrace, embrace the reputation. Or go to somewhere like Saudi Arabia, like Al Itihad or something like that and join Xavi up there or something the good news is he's so short right if there was like a messy beheading video they wouldn't even have to put him on his knees or bury him that far in a stoning <laughs> yeah <laughs> a handful <laughs> of stones would do the trick 
<laughs> yeah, if it, if it just if it was just like a heavy rain one day in Saudi Arabia and he just like slipped into a puddle, they'd be able to stone him to death. It just slowly sink into the sand and kind of happen itself, really. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait till we have Messi on now. Oh yeah, you can talk about the finding system in La Liga and um the prospects of getting stoned in Saudi Arabia. But I guess talking about one player who might be leaving and opting, well, choosing not to renew his contract and, and leaving clubs, I guess it kind of brings us into one of the topics that's been dominating American sports this week, which is the supposed double standards in the way that players are treated. All of this came out from Andre Drummond, the Cleveland Cavaliers center, who Cavs came out and basically said they're trying to act, they're actively trying to trade him and that he he's basically been put on gardening leave. He will not be playing until they are able to trade him. And uh, in response to that, Draymond Green, the uh, Golden State Warriors player, had a in a press conference spoke about how this was it showed the different ways in which people react to when players say they want to leave versus when teams say they want to get rid of a player and that it's perfectly fine for a team to say we're actively trying to trade him and he's not playing until he's traded. But if a player were came out and publicly said, I want to leave, people would be very critical of them. If he certainly said he wasn't going to play until he got a trade, people wouldn't be okay with it. And just even when other players hint at the idea of potentially leaving their teams, people think of them as being disloyal. I think it, I don't, I think people, I, I guess I'm kind of talking from the everyday here, but I, I think people kind of associate what happens between a player and a club in the same way that they would treat their relationship with their own company. So I think that the attitude is different in America as well to the, to the kind of employee employer relationship as well. I, I think there's a lot of like, um, ton of loyalty for like work hours and stuff like that when it comes to like working for an american company i I think people then push that upwards onto their clubs so it's easy for like a person to get fired in a company so therefore it looks normal for someone to be like okay we're trading him because he doesn't fit into like a long-term vision or something like that but if a player i.e. an employee comes out and says like, I want to leave. Most people are like, why would you want to leave? Why would you want to do that? You're in a job, you've got this, you should be happy. I don't know what you think, but I, I, I think there's probably a little bit of that happening in, in the perception side of things, but obviously the reality might be different. I think a lot of it depends on the situations though, because I mean, the obvious counter story to that one would be the Deshaun Watson who, you know, has publicly come out and said that he doesn't want to play for the Titans anymore or Texans anymore. He never played for the Titans. He doesn't want to play for the Texans anymore. And he wants a trade. <laughs> you heard it here first. Doesn't want to play for the <laughs> Titans either. <laughs> but you know, like I think each situation is kind of unique because in his, he literally just signed an enormous deal with the Texans and before up until he was asking to be traded, nothing had really changed about their team besides maybe the Hopkins trade. But other than that, the coaching was still the same. The general manager was still the same. So it's that to me is a strange one because you signed up to play for this team. And now after one year, 
you had a rough year and it's like, ah, I don't want to play for them anymore. You, you know, you should have thought about that before you signed a longer contract. Now, afterwards, you know, now when they fire their general manager, fire their head coach, then I think that puts you in a different situation. Like if he had waited until then and then said, I don't want to play for them anymore. I want to be traded. Then I actually can see it because it's like I signed up to play with these people, coached by this person, team run by this person, and now everything's changed. I want out. But the way he actually did it and asked for the trade before any of that happened, besides just Hopkins being traded, you know, that to me, I think is a, is a little bit of a disloyalty. But I think it, it kind of has to go a little case by case. I mean, there are certain instances, you know, where I would side with the player. Yeah, it's tough. Part of the challenge here, right, is that as a fan, you look at professional athletes, at least in the major sports, and you think you're doing a job that all of us would dream of doing. You're earning, for the most part, ridiculous sums of money to do it. So you should just be happy with whatever your circumstance is. Like, And okay, from an American sports stand, standpoint, the downside of that is you can be traded at a drop of a hat. You have no say in it unless you have particular clauses in your contract and you've just got to up and move, which is very different to European sports, right? Where you have to agree to whatever move is proposed. So already there's probably a distinction there between the two. Cause the idea here is that like you can go into work one day in the NBA or the NFL and they tell you, Hey, you know how you live here and you've built your family, your home here and your family's here. Well, now you're living somewhere else and there's nothing you can do about it. That's tough, but then in exchange for $35 million a year, I'm on board with that. But I do think there is a kind of double standard in terms of the loyalty. I think we all feel it as fans, right? Like I feel betrayed when a a player on my team really wants to leave. I feel like, don't you understand like what we've done for you, how we've helped you to better your career, how we've put you, like we've made you a better player. And then at the same time, when I think about like, well, Jimmy Garoppolo's injury issues are a little bit tricky and he's maybe not that great. So if we could get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, that would be wonderful. We'd probably have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl. So like there is a definite double standard there, but I don't know if the double standard is something I'm upset by. And I also don't, I think as an athlete, you kind of have to understand why it's there. Yeah. And I think one of the points you raised there was interesting because as a fan, is there a double standard in like which player this affects? Because if there's a player where, so say for example, you know, like um, Manu with Bruno Fernandez, for example, if Fernandez came out and he was like, I want to go, everyone would be like, oh, typical Bruno Fernandez, not respecting the club, not doing this, knew this would happen. Where if it was like Anthony Martial at the moment, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, this will probably, this will be a good thing. You know, a little bit of dead weight at the moment, not pulling his weight, this could be good for us. And so I, th- I think your point is interesting that fan reaction only really happens when they really matter to the club or their perception is they really matter to the club. I, I Obviously, my NBA knowledge is a little bit lacking, but w- would the, are the fans of the Cavs like no. mega frustrated uh, at this or what's the sentiment with that? Andre Drummond has just ended up in Cleveland because of trades and and like free agency moves where... It's just made sense. He's a big contract. The idea would have always been that his contract, the value he would have brought to the team fundamentally at some point is trading his contract. 
that would have always been he's he's kind of a player from a different era he's not been in cleveland for long there would be no attachment whatsoever from the cleveland cavaliers fan base so i don't think you're gonna have anyone in cleveland crying over the thought that andre drummond is going to be leaving um it's not like LeBron James, like, right. Like LeBron James, you know, Cleveland's a good example. You've had situations where people, when LeBron James decided to leave as a free agent, people burned jerseys and, you know, called him Judas and treated him as if he had betrayed the city he came from. Like, is it a double standard? I think it is, but I think as a professional athlete, you've just got to be like, hey, for the most part, this is a pretty fantastic life. The downside is this. Yeah, and I feel in the with the trade aspect of it, I feel like you're more affected the less known you are because most high-profile American athletes are going to have no trade clauses built into their contracts. It's the player who I think probably is going to get hurt the most where you're right, they've built their family you know, outside of the Meadowlands Stadium in New Jersey and probably some shitty townhouse just settled in. And then that player who's making, you know, league minimum is getting shipped across the country, you know, to like Washington or, or you know, somewhere like Oregon or, you know, something crazy. And it's like, wow, that kind of sucks, you know. But the people who like, like Eli Manning, he's not going to get traded. He's got his no trade clause. So it's, it really depends on the player too, I think. And, the unfortunate players are obviously the the lesser known players. Yeah. And Sam, you even brought up, how do we treat it with non-sports? And in some respects, I think the sentiment's not too dissimilar, right? Like there's moments where if you told your company, hey, I've decided to leave, I've got an offer somewhere else. Some of your colleagues or certainly your boss might feel, look, we've, we know, like we brought you here. Maybe we took a risk in bringing you here. We've, helped you to develop, we've helped you to improve, you should show some loyalty and stick with us. And on the flip side, if you aren't performing or they want to get rid of you, companies won't feel like, well, you know, he's, he has been here for a while or she has been here for a while. I guess we've got to stick it out. Maybe this is just a slump. Let's, let's just, uh, let's just see if, if a year or two from now things have picked up and that early, early career potential kind of materializes later on i think for me the money is the massive distorter it, it just no one in the kind of middle classes i guess of society could ever understand why you wouldn't kind of do a lot of things and jump through all those hoops for that much money um and i do think there are a ton of good examples uh, like you said that the sean watson one's really interesting even the messy situation uh, six months ago was really interesting with the contractual problems there um it's... Well, well just look not to interrupt but just look at the texans the difference in jj watt wants to leave the texans have decided you know what jj watt isn't that valuable to the team right now you know what you want to leave okay you're gone oh deshaun watson you want to leave you really want to leave? No, we we actually really want to keep you. So under no circumstances are you leaving. Like we've seen a team within the space of a month treat two very high high profile players at different stages of their career very very differently based on what they think their value is to the future of the team. In I don't I don't know if this happens in um, 
American sports, so you could probably enlighten me. But in football, soccer, um, you get loyalty bonuses, don't you? So the longer you stay with a club, you start to almost um, recoup. It's almost like a semi-incentive, isn't it? You recuperate X amount of your salary if you were to be sold by the club because it was their decision or something like that. So there are incentives within European football that I know of, and I think like rugby union as well as another one, uh, for sticking around. Um, And it it can really incentivize you as a player to be a part of maybe like a five-year plan, a 10-year plan even. Um, I don't know if American sports has any sort of contractual things where, you know, if you stick it out here for five years, you're going to get X lump of cash at the end of it. I don't know if that happens a lot. I don't think they have quite the same system as a loyalty bonus because like part of the loyalty bonus there from a footballing standpoint, right, is to try and encourage players not to request transfers or like actively seek a move because you forego your loyalty bonus if it's you who initiated the, the process. But I do think that obviously you have structured deals with incentives and stuff. So yes, you've signed a one on paper, you know, like if you're Patrick Mahomes, you've signed a 10 year, $503 million contract, but in order to earn all that money, you obviously need to be on the team for the full 10 years. You need to be playing for the full 10 years. You need to be able hitting all sorts of targets and goals for those 10 years. Equally, uh, a lot of the major American sports have tried to in- encourage players to stay with their teams by putting in place advantages like taking the NBA, the max contract that you can sign with the team that you are with is, is bigger than the max contract that you can sign with a team that you're leaving to go to. So in a situation where you are a free agent, financially, it makes the most sense for you to stay with the team you're currently on. Now players will still choose to leave because I mean, we're talking about the difference of, I think it works out to something like a difference of like $50 million over the course of five years, which sounds like an insane amount of money. But when you are earning, you know, $40 million a year, plus all of your, uh, you know, off off the court in, you know, sponsorship deals and stuff, you can probably decide, do you know what? I can go without that money in the long term. My life will be better if I sign for team X over staying here. And um, interestingly enough as well, I guess there's a media war. There's like a media perception to all of this, right? If you get the media on the right side of you, then that's going to change people's perceptions. Um, Bit of an obsession at the moment with the guy, but Messi is a good example of this because when that contractual dispute was going on about him leaving, Barcelona were the ones that came out with all the legal speak. They were the ones that were going to the media And there's still that theory that they were the ones that leaked Messi's contract. And there's the perception that the reason they did that was to turn perception against Messi to almost force his hand to stay. And I guess you can see it with like Deshaun Watson and the Texans. I think there's that you're trying to vie for the media kind of good and bad side of things, obviously vying for the good, because public perception will then potentially sway a club if the fans backlash against it, then the club's naturally going to retract. So um, there's, a, there's a lot of dynamics to loyalty, actually. As The more we're back, it's kind of interesting. No, for sure. And it's all a big game being played out, right? And we don't know where things are coming from. So definitely. And I guess this is one of the interesting things in the sense that uh, Dream on Green's come out so publicly and... 
it's interesting because he kind of doesn't have a horse in the race. He does because he cares about the treatment of NBA players, but I, I would be interested. I, I don't know how much Andre Drummond has commented on this. I would be interested to know kind of what his feelings are about Draymond Green coming out and whether or not he would have just happily been like, you know what? I was happy to leave Cleveland. So it wasn't the end of the world that they like weren't playing me until I got traded. I was kind of happy with this arrangement. It was like a, hol- a mid-season holiday for me. And now you've gone and ruined it. I guess the other question, the bigger question goes into the whole fandom portion of, you know, does it matter if there's loyalty? Like who cares in the grand scheme of things? If let's take a different example, a different occupation. If you're a doctor, does it matter where you're doing your open heart surgeries? Like what hospital you're affiliated with? No, like your job as a doctor is to save lives. Like if it, for me as a scientist, it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously you want to be somewhere where you have good resources, but at the same time, I don't care if I'm doing my research at this place or at that place, as long as I'm advancing science, that's the main goal. So like as an athlete, like what does it matter where they really play if their end game is just to have a career and be successful in their career? Like does loyalty even matter really? I think it does, right? Because the difference between what any of us do and what uh, an athlete does is that the only reason they get paid tons of money to do what they do is because people want to watch them and people want to support them. And like, but does it saying, matter if Mahomes does that on the Chiefs or anywhere else? Like Mahomes is Mahomes, right? I'll watch him whoever he plays for. You will, but if you were a Chiefs yeah. fan, you might feel differently. And if uh, you know, like the fu- the system is based on like it's a house of cards, right? So if we really strip away loyalty from it, then it will tumble. Like if we really like every once in a while, athletes in every sport hint at the idea of like, why can't we, why, why can't we apply standard employment law to athletes? And the challenge with that is like, if you do that, the system will collapse because everyone will go and pay for play for Manchester United. Like everyone will just leave their jobs and go and play for Manchester United or Barcelona or PSG. Like why on earth would you hang around? You know, like, and similarly, you know, if, if you're, you know, Aaron Rodgers, like you would just be like, see a green Bay been nice, but on to new things now. Thanks for all of that. Like, thanks for the support. Thanks for taking the chance on me. Thanks for helping me to become the player that I am. You know, I love the fact that my popularity here has made me tons of money and endorsements. I love the fact that I'm never going to have to work again once I retire. Thanks to everything that you have provided here, but see ya on to the next thing. And like, yes, there always be somewhere and you'll have, but like part of supporting a team is the idea that you want, like if, if all of your player, it's part of the reason why I don't really get into college sports. Like if the turnover in your team is so great that no one is there five years later, it's hard to support. Like, I think most people's favorite player won't necessarily have been the best player they've ever watched on their team or the best player currently on their team. Often it's some odd player who's hung around and you've developed an affinity for, and who you'd be like, he's our guy. Like the sense of like, he's ours is so important to being invested in the sport. Once you just kind of like, if you do, if we remove the, the, you know, the kind of, And if you just think about it as these are just guys wearing different colors of laundry, right? Like that kind of expression comes into it. 
who who's going to do it? Like, why am I going to turn up and watch ten, pay ten thousand dollars to watch these assholes who don't who I don't care about them? They don't care about me. What am I doing every Saturday? I feel like that's kind of like the NBA now, and people watch that. I mean, t- like look at LeBron James. He goes from team to team to team, and people root for him no matter what team he's on. Yeah, and I think it hurts, right? Like, I think it hurts your legacy, and I think it hurts. Uh, I, I think it hurts the league. Like LeBron James is lucky in the sense that him going back to Cleveland and winning a championship saved his reputation for the course of his career. Like it seriously did. Like the perception of LeBron James when he retires and everything will be so much different because he did go home and he delivered the championship. Like if he had gone from the Miami Heat to the Lakers. And then after that, gone to the Knicks or whatever, people would have been like, wow, he's just like a journeyman who just like chased rings. Like he doesn't enter into the Michael Jordan debate. Now that is actually an interesting transition for me in terms of talking about legacy and greatness. I was watching the Australian Open early yesterday morning. I was watching, I actually think this was not from, this wasn't during uh, Serena Williams's match against uh, Naomi Osaka. This was actually in the previous round when she played Simona Halep, and her husband, uh, the Reddit co-founder, uh, was sitting in her box, and he was wearing a T-shirt that said "Greatest Female Athlete," and the female was crashed was uh, scratched out, and. I'm not getting into this. It's not a, a knock on Serena Williams or even saying that she can't, she's not in the discussion as greatest athlete of all time. I'm kind of not even really interested in that. Cause I think it's just so like, I think this, you think that like, there's no way of comparing one sport to another really in terms of what you've achieved. I just think it's insane that someone in your box would be like wearing a t-shirt like that. Like if I were a professional athlete and my wife said, like say I was going to play in the Super Bowl or I was going to play in, Wim- in Wimbledon or whatever, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm going to wear I'm going to wear a T-shirt that says you're the greatest athlete of all time." I'm going to be like, "No, you're not." Like my fans can buy those T-shirts and wear them. That's kind of nice and endearing, but no one who's actually in my family is turning up on a T-shirt that says I'm the greatest thing ever. But they're meant to be your biggest fans, aren't they? The people close to you. When you when you want them to be like Vuvuzela, <laughs> I would want the T-shirt out. Look, I would want them to be my biggest fans and I would want them to think I'm the greatest thing ever. But to wear a t-shirt like that to me, it just rubbed me the wrong way. The the problem I have with um, celebrities as well is that there comes a point where you start to think, is that the person or is that the marketing intention of their attitude and what they're doing, et cetera? Because there's hundreds of cameras in a in a stadium right and they're going to be fixed on so many things and you kind of think to yourself like are they just doing it is is he just wearing that t-shirt to have that single moment where they can be like oh look at his strive for equality and he's asking a very in a jovial way he's asking a very honest question about like athleticism in the female sport and whether we can compare them in the greatest sense with the kind of male side of things and do you actually believe that or are you just wearing it because you know the cameras will be oh, on you no I, a perception you want 100 percent. serena williams in her camp thinks she's the greatest athlete of all time but also the thing the thought that crossed my mind in watching that was like 
oh, you've seen Tom Brady win the Super Bowl like nine days ago. You saw everyone call him potentially the greatest athlete of all time. And here's your don't forget about me. Like, don't forget about old Serena here. Don't forget what I've done. Yeah, Tom Brady's 43 and winning Super Bowls. Well, I'm whatever she is, 36, 37, and I'm a mother, and I'm making quarterfinals and semifinals of Grand Slams. Like that was my cynical take on it a little bit, but it was just, and look, I even feel uncomfortable. Like, and I've spoken to my parents about this. I, I remember once speaking, like asking my mother, like if I'd become a professional tennis player and I'd been like Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal, and you start to have like your own branding, right? Like it's not just Nike gear. It's like your logo on a hat. Would you have turned up to one of my matches wearing like an Edward Hewitt hat? You know, like it would be, e, it would be like, like a an, really nicely done EH. Exactly. <laughs> like if I'm the, if I'm the Federer equivalent, I've got my own little logo. Are you sitting in my box wearing my Edward Hewitt Nike hat? And the response is like, no way. I'm sitting in your box and I'm watching you play and I'm supporting you, but I'm not becoming some marketing like branded piece for my own child. Oh, it's so weird. In I, fact, I, think I might go out. I might go out now. I might go out now and make an Edward Hewitt hat and start wearing it around. For friends, I would feel differently. Like I'll say this, like Frank, if you, like if I'd known you and you'd been an athlete, I would have happily turned up to your games and have been like, Frank's my friend. I think Frank's great. I'm wearing Frank stuff. Like this is great. I why do. Think I wear, I, why, why are you wearing his clothes? Yeah, I wear I wear Frank <laughs> Molinaro stuff still. Yeah, to me, all that's the stuff he gave me. But yeah, I, I would feel awkward if like, and obviously the, there's a number of bridges that have to be passed in order for this one to come true. But if my one of my future children is a professional athlete and they've signed signed some onto some huge deal where like Nike or Adidas or Reebok are like putting their kind of logo on a hat, I don't know if I'm turning up to watch them at Wimbledon and wearing that hat. I might. And I think it's even worse. The even worse thing is when you see, and this one really bothers me, is when you see that they like the parent or the has like signed a what is clearly almost a separate sponsorship deal. Like Rafael Nadal's uncle wears like a different brand of stuff. And it's like, oh, you're taking out like ad space yeah. like on yourself in the box. It is the worst when you see parents or kind of family members of the successful person just riding those coattails like uh, a good example is andy murray's mum as well uh <laughs> she like you she, i got to say is you your hatred for andy murray's Murray is, <laughs> comes up just, so regularly i i have no like you know i i've told you where it started it started from that it England, started in dunblane <laughs> no one has laughed at the word dumpling like that <laughs> seemingly now they have yeah for, for for context uh for our american listeners or for frank uh andy murray is from dunblane a relatively small town in scotland and the only thing notable about dunblane before andy murray is that it is or was the scene of what i suppose is the largest school shooting in british history the school that Andy Murray attended, I think he was actually like at the school. He was the actually there on the day. At the, on yeah. the day, which has led to, these are distasteful jokes, right? But like that, uh, like uh, 
America has such a large number of uh, school shootings. The United Kingdom had one, and out of it managed to come a world class athlete. Like, if if we had if, if gun violence in schools was as prevalent in the United Kingdom, we'd just be dominating all sports. <laughs> I just I I think it was that moment where he England were playing what was it Paraguay, Paraguay in the opening of the two thousand and six, and he didn't need to do it. Two thousand ten, I think he did. <laughs> and it infuriated me. Uh, it just, yeah, I've never been a fan of him. I don't he's know why. Matured. He's matured. He's matured. Then. He has matured. Yeah, I, I, like I agree. I think I think the player he is now is absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> injured. <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, he's actually playing at the moment. He's playing in in other tournaments it's actually kind of sad he's because because the issue right was that he he tested positive for covid right like that was why he wasn't able to travel to us oh you're gonna say cocaine <laughs> that was coming really close to cocaine i was like wait what <laughs> but every once in a while when i check the live tennis scores would be like oh andy murray's playing in this random tournament somewhere else because he couldn't make it to australia like that's got to be a little bit depressing for him no, it'll be more depressing when he loses in the second round to a nobody. <laughs> yeah. When he yeah. loses to the EH brand. Yeah, when I make my comeback. Comeback? Yeah. Well, actually, don't call it a comeback. But you, you literally just called it a comeback. None of us did. Don't tell us. You're the one who literally just called it a comeback. That was so disarming for me. I was like, but I didn't bring this up. <laughs> that's that's how you trick it, right? Like this is how I legitimize myself. I I I put the language out there, and then I dismiss it. I have basically an argument with myself in the public domain. Like, you know, am I the greatest tennis player of all time? Don't call me the greatest tennis player of all time, but look, I've I've achieved some pretty incredible things, and I'm on my way. Isn't but that I, the Donald Trump way of doing it? Like, yeah. didn't when he was talking about bleach with COVID, he's like, "Look, I'm not saying it works. I'm just saying they've got to do the tests." <laughs> yeah, but look, I'm inspired, right? Uh, Karatsev or Karatsev? I'm not exactly sure how you're pro- like actually supposed to pronounce his name, but the uh, the Russian player who uh, became the first wild card. Uh, like to reach the semifinals of the Australian Open ever. Uh, pretty incredible achievement for someone who was ranked 114th coming into this tournament. So, no, Goran Ivanisevic, though. The Ivanisevic one, I mean, that's the only thing you can really draw parallels to in the sense that it's a wild card uh, making it to the later stages of a tournament. Obviously, in the case of Ivanisevic, he actually won it. But I guess the difference is that Ivanisevic was an established player who was just a little bit past his prime, whereas uh, in this instance, it's someone who full-on has come out of nowhere to make it all the way to the semifinals. Of, I mean, what must be just an incredible... Speaking of athletes earning money, what an incredible payday for him like the amount of money he will have undoubtedly the money he has made in this tournament will have surpassed the amount of money he has made over the course of his career. And he's 27. He's not some young guy. Uh, it's, it must be just a life changing two weeks. 
yeah, too bad you can't go out and celebrate and do anything. <laughs> I'll show you about it. No, that's kind of shitty, right? The, their lockdown's been lifted in Melbourne. They had a five-day lockdown, but now they're back to. I think the. But I'm sure it's still limited. You know, you know you're what? not going. You know you're not going with a crowd and just going crazy at a club or Frank, something. You are said the trophy plays now. In this instance, he hasn't actually won a trophy because he lost in the semifinals, but the sweaty tennis outfit will play. Wherever he's going, there's a big party going on. Does he get some sort of trinket or something that he can hold up <laughs> as he's going to the bar to, to distinguish that he was a semifinalist in the Australian Open? He probably he went to like the gift shop and just bought like a replica plastic trophy. And like just a boomerang. Yeah, exactly. And got, got Novak Djokovic to sign it. What to to like kind of sign it and say I acknowledge that he was yeah. in the semifinals. Yeah, like a and I yeah. kicked his ass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a certificate of authenticity on his boomerang. The IPL draft was today, so no superstars really available. The most of them under are under contract, but uh, I think one point six million dollars was the most that was paid for someone. I think, but I I only skimmed the article about it. It, I, th I think they need to consider rewording some of the articles, though, because whenever you see like how much people were bought for, it just comes up as like Moeen Ali bought for seven hundred thousand at auction. It's like, oh, I thought that was illegal. <laughs> Did see Sachin <laughs> Sachin Tendulkar's son was drafted for twenty seven thousand dollars. So, uh, someone who doesn't need the money, I assume. I assume that his dad has taken care of himself. I mean, Sachin's basically a demigod, isn't he? So. Yeah. I mean, the pressure on on, on being Sachin's son must be incredible. I mean, it's he's some... playing cricket. So, I mean, that's that's the first step, right? You'd be, fur you'd be furious in a way if he came out and he's like, kind of enjoy football. <laughs> like, as a nation, he's kind of been forced to play cricket, right? Kai, I'm, I almost would have felt, for context for anyone who's not familiar with who we're talking about, Sachin Tendulkar was an Indian uh, cricketer who retired, I don't know, probably five or six years ago now, uh, played from the age of 16, he's had a sort of 20-year 20, 20 career playing international cricket for India, and literally, it, when Sam says he's a demigod, that might actually be doing him a disservice. He's a full-on god in India. Uh, the the kind of mass of people that surrounded him everywhere. When you see the scenes and when he played his final match, I mean, just to have that number of people, when people talk about like level of fame and when Americans think about like how famous someone like LeBron James is, who I know is known around the world, but like Sachin Tendulkar would be a household name to every single person in India and basically worshipped by them. So you're talking whatever their population is, 1.3 billion people, just absolutely obsessed with this single person. Uh, so to be his son and try and follow in his footsteps in any way is quite the challenge. Yeah, and, and just to caveat that, that's why it makes the Brady goat discussion always so interesting about like greatest sportsman of all time it's like well it, it, from an american perspective sports person sports person sam <laughs> sorry uh, he's you're so unwoke i did but on that on, we, on, we need to get the, you that t-shirt yeah <laughs> along along those lines uh i actually i'll get you a special t-shirt sam it will say like 
best gay podcaster, but it will just have gay scratched out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true. <laughs> or it'll have best. <laughs> I thought you were going to scratch it. It was just a best gay podcaster. <laughs> I would just say gay. I thought you were going to say no. podcaster scratched off. No, but having the best. Well, so, no, because no. best gay is still somewhat no, complimentary. No. Sam, Sam's gay nailed podcast. it. Sam's nailed it. It's just going to have gay podcast. 100% this is the merch. This is our merch. Um, Alongside but, Sam, this good. Just yeah. gay podcast. Yeah. It's a niche t-shirt. I don't know if it's going to appeal to a wider market. It's a but, niche shirt. I'm even yeah. selling it. Yeah. But uh, I saw in the aftermath of the Super Bowl with people, I saw one joke that was kind of like going around on Twitter with like people talking about the greatness of Brady and how, because someone had asked like, is he the most famous athlete of all time? And it was like a map. And it was like people who think Tom Brady is the greatest athlete of all time. And it was just the map of the United States. And then afterwards it was like, I legitimately think that Jesse Lingard is more well-known than Tom Brady. <laughs> and in a global context, it's probably true. Get out of your and little it, bubble. Get out of your little bubble, Frank. <laughs> I would those the horizons. I would even think when you put on the map of the US, it's probably pretty localized to the Boston area as well. I mean, that's like a multi-part podcast. Because it, 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 it would take us a podcast just to define greatest athlete ever. Are we talking in terms of like athletic ability, athletic achievements, like overall success in the landscape of other athletes of their generation? Like just defining the terminology would take us two hours of arguments. <laughs> And as Sam, as I, Sam and I experienced on a recent, uh, like the weekly Zoom quiz that we do on Saturday nights, the discussion, I think Sam, you were present for this, but maybe I'm wrong and you weren't missing that week, but there was a huge discussion of what even is an athlete. Yeah, uh, one, of the participant, one of the participants was arguing that golfers are not athletes. So for example, like Tiger Woods couldn't enter the discussion for greatest athlete of all time because you don't have to be, that Tiger Woods might be an athlete because he happens to be uh, fundamentally, I have to say, this guy thought, well, Tiger Woods looks athletic, is basically his, whereas John Daly doesn't look athletic. I knew so, you were going to, John Daly was brought up, and I know that's why you brought it up, but the guy's. No, it's the easiest. I, I, I completely disagree with the argument because I always think that people who think that like you don't have to be athletic to play golf are people who have never really played golf and definitely aren't good at golf because if they think that you can just swing a club at the speeds at which professional golfers uh, swing them and like basically never have like have have the hand-eye coordination to never really drastically miss hit it and just have that kind of control over your club and your overall body position and speed if you don't think you have to be an athlete to do that then you you kind of don't know what you're talking about exactly no i agree because I think with golf, there's a lot of similarities. You're basically saying if golfers aren't, then cricketers probably aren't. Similar logic, right? There's there's a lot of standing still. Or base, baseball players. And baseball players yeah. aren't athletes. Exactly. And it, it I, I understand. Like, if you want to bring up like our chess players, athletes, fine. I'm happy to have that argument. But golf, absolutely not. Wait, you would put a chat... Uh... What a person who plays chess? 
a chessist <laughs> or just a chess player <laughs> ahead of a golfer no i didn't say no 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 there's no there's no ranking to that i'm just saying that you could probably understand why people may disagree with the athleticism involved in chess that's all i'm saying i'm not giving an opinion there i'm just saying that that one might be which is zero to <laughs> yeah i mean well, it's a mental game have, right it's yeah a but I, yeah that's not athletic though like in the same so way that's not athletic that's intelligence if I look at someone and say he's athletic, I don't mean he can think really well. <laughs> I mean, no, Einstein. he can run and jump. <laughs> Einstein, most athletic guy I've ever seen. <laughs> but And this, again, would be a longer debate for us to have, right? Because you then get into the very fine line sports. Like, like running. running I, well, I say all the time, is running really a sport? Curling. It, well, even though no, fun, curling's a sport. Is 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 pool a sport? What do you mean? Yeah, Swimming. no, I say no. Oh, you really? mean? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no. Sam, are you on the same fucking podcast as us right now? No, no. Chess is athletic. <laughs> pool is swimming. <laughs> No, I mean billiards or snooker. Or, yeah, I thought or, you said in the pool is no. that athletic. So I was like. Uh, but yeah, uh, darts is darts a sport? No, I consider yeah. it a hobby. A hobby. <laughs> that's a hobby. So dis- that's so dismissive to like Michael that's Van Gerwen, so... <laughs> like the guy's career. Like, oh, it's good that you've turned a hobby into a career. Well done. Yeah. Good for you. Are esports a sport? No. Look, I, I look. There are clues in the name. Clues in the name, Frank. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think a hobby. You can't call it just a hobby. I think hobby is the wrong word for it not being a sport. It's not like Michael Rengeren or Phil Taylor. They weren't just like, they're not out there knitting. They're not hobbyists? No, <laughs> they're not going to the hobby lobby and picking up their new flights for their darts and then going to the alley pally and a winning a million pounds. Lobby. A hobby lobby at the alley pally. <laughs> yeah, that's a I have a hobby there. lobby a, a mile from my house. Now, every once in a while, you know, you say a sentence and you think to yourself, that has never been said before. And I am... I would bet on my life that in the history of humankind, no one has ever combined Hobby Lobby and Alley Pally in a sentence up until now. I mean, I don't know what an Alley Pally is. It's well, it's the Alexander, Alexander Palace. Palace. It's where the golf, uh, the golf, it's where the golf <laughs> takes place in the pool. What podcast are you on? Here? Yeah, it's where we've the, lost it's, it. It's, it's one of the famous darts venues. Yeah. Like the, it. it's the Yankee Stadium or Wimbledon of or Lords of uh, of darts, except except indoors and full of drunken people in in costume. In costume. <laughs> That's a really popular. Signs. So no, 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 Frank. Honestly, if we ever get the chance to go, I honestly recommend it because where is it? All that is happens, it London. Yeah, it's London. It's North London. It is the atmosphere. It's incredible. So they've got the long tables, you know, like you would see in like a beer keller. And people are just dancing, drinking, and a lot of singing Chase the Sun. <laughs> I'll say so, this. When, wait, is Chase the Sun the do, 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 yeah. I'm falling away. Do, 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 do. Oi, oi, oi. But the... Uh... <laughs> I'll say this, when the darts is back on, when the darts has returned to normal, that's like the clear sign the world as a whole 
is back to normal <laughs> yeah. because when when things the things that go on there are allowed to to happen again that is the sign that we no longer have to be worried about covid frank you gotta you gotta look it up look up like kind of uh like world championship alexandra palace crowd and you're just gonna see essentially british men on a lad's night out just having the absolute time more, more aggressive than the fight club <laughs> That wasn't aggressive. <laughs> well, there was uh, a, a slight fight. <laughs> there was, was a fight at the flight club. <laughs> yeah, flight fight night at flight night. Yeah, okay. yeah. That the that was. I mean, it was the most aggressive we've seen one of our friends ever get. By one of our friends, I mean a specific friend of ours. <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. For Some people just take darts way too seriously. <laughs> there was there was a huge debate as to whether or not someone was uh, stepping over the hockey was fundamentally the uh, argument that occurred. For our listeners who don't know what that means, he means line. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and in this instance, it was a throwing really... line of the hobby of darts. No, the hockey is not a throwing line. The hockey is the whole thing on the floor. <laughs> yeah, which in this instance, there wasn't really an hockey. It was just multiple lines across the ground but uh it, le- it led to a very heated debate and resulted in one person <laughs> laying on the floor to inspect someone else's foot <laughs> it was the most petulant thing i've ever seen in my life <laughs> when you see the the scene in anchorman where they go that escalated quickly <laughs> that is literally what happened <laughs> But I mean, you said earlier on when I talked about uh, Andy Murray, and you thought I said cocaine or was going to say con- cocaine instead of COVID. What that night definitely showed us is that when you mix cocaine and darts, anything can happen. <laughs> For anyone who hasn't checked out the Flight Club, definitely go check it out. It's a fun place. <laughs> yeah, future 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 sponsor of the podcast. It's like the Top Golf of darts. Yeah, yeah. Actually, is a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I really liked it. They have one in Chicago, and we were supposed to have a conference, and I was going to take all my students to the conference, and the one thing I wanted to do is take them all to the flight club, even though they probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as much. I can imagine them mishearing you and just hearing fight club, and I'm just like, where is this guy? But but then they find out they heard right, and they take them to an underground fight club. (laughs) It would be a good way to, to leave your job. So I have a slight update for you guys. We discussed, I think, either our last podcast or the one before about the new pizzas that have been out and about in the States that they're promoting. And the one that we all agreed on sounded the best was the Pizza Hut Detroit style pizza. Now, I'm a sucker for gimmicks. So as soon as we had that podcast, I had been thinking about this Detroit style pizza for days. And then it came up to like our for almost weekly, we get pizza, I would say. And it just had hit that point where it's like, should we order pizza tonight? Yeah. Okay. And I suggested the pizza hut. And the first thing was both of us realized we probably hadn't had pizza hut in about 15 years. So I was slightly worried because the quality of Pizza Hut can be not the best. But 
we got the Detroit style Supreme pizza, which was sausage, peppers, and onions. I have to admit out of all these specialty and gimmicky pizzas I've had from the more like fast food pizzas, this was by far the best hands down. Like I would order it again. It's, I mean, that's a good endorsement, I suppose. It is quite a qualified endorsement. Like, of yeah. all gimmicky pizzas I've had from fast food places, <laughs> this is the best. Well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll go further. I think it was probably the best fast food pizza I've had. That's... And, and I love Papa John's. So this, is, this beats Papa John's for you. Yes, but the only caveat is I couldn't eat this every time. Because it's like a thick, it's like a thick crust... You know, it's kind of like if if you get it once, you'll really enjoy it. But I can order Papa John's like every week, just because. Could you I don't do know, it? What I'm a psycho. So wait, what did you? It was a pepperoni. What was what was on Sausage, it? Sausage, peppers, and onions. Okay. But it was really good. That's I, I had a look actually, and if there's anywhere in the UK that's going to do it, it'll be London. So I had a look on like Uber Eats and <laughs> Deliveroo and things like that, and um, there are places. What so, Pizza Hut? Well, no, the Pizza Hut wouldn't do that. It would have to be like a specialty. Detroit oh, a Detroit-style style pizza restaurant that did it. Yeah, but there yeah. are places. So, oh if, I, well, I, I'll say this: I've had real Detroit-style pizza, and it's really it's good. This wasn't of that quality, but it was it was still really tasty. So, if you've never had that, have you ever had like Chicago-style pizza? No, I've I've only had. I'll get out of here. Chicago style pizza is pure garbage. I'll, I'll just you go don't like it. Any... No. Why no. is it garbage though? That's like that's basically a pie, isn't it? Or something it's like weird. if someone like... pissed. It's like if someone pissed tomato sauce all over my pizza. Like I'm not. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> what a what a what an ailment. Where did that you have <laughs> Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> As there's Eddie, someone who pissing on you? your pizza. Who in Chicago hurt you? Who hit you in the face with a Chicago-style pizza? Yeah, no. Literally never, ever, ever. <laughs> wait, wait, can, you, can you explain why it tastes like so much? But also, just, to, just a qualification. I have to admit, there's a qualification there. Does, is the tomato sauce piss-like? <laughs> No, because <laughs> if it's okay. just someone urinating tomato sauce, then it's still tomato sauce. No, no, we've had a miss. We've had a slight uh, misunderstanding. Is that a superpower? Here. I'm not saying that the pizza <laughs> tastes the like. Point? No, I'm not saying that the pizza tastes like piss. I'm saying that the quantity of sauce to pizza. I've got no interest in someone just pissing sauce all over my pizza. That's my, that's my point. It's not that I, it's not that I, t- Can you it's just not say that I t- drizzle. Can you just say someone drizzle? Yeah, poured. <laughs> I wanted to be pissing the tomato sauce. Cause I wanted to make it clear that it was an unpleasant experience. I mean, not that I've only had it once. It is an unpleasant experience, but Why? I just, it's just, it's just, like pizza is so good and like I'm not like a Chicago style pizza is still it's okay but they've gone out of their way to ruin pizza like you've taken something that is universally loved and fundamentally hard to mess up like it's hard to have a really terrible pizza I've had some pretty bad pizzas in my life but most of the time even a bad pizza it's still like okay I can eat this like it's one of those foods that like it's like when you order it you know worst case scenario 
this is going to be I'm edible. still eating it. Yeah. <laughs> Worst case scenario is like greasy or the, you know. Right. There's some yeah. takeaway foods, right? You're kind of rolling the dice where it could turn up and you'd be like, nope, going to order again. Like this is, this is going straight in the garbage. Uh, pizza, you might not, you might feel like I wasted a pizza night. Like that wasn't great, but you're never going to feel like, well, I, I can't eat this. But Frank, a Chicago could, style, could, Chicago style pizza comes close, yeah, and then you wait until see how the person prepared it. <laughs> like, <laughs> that doesn't put you off your pizza. I don't mind. I don't mind Chicago style every once in a while, but I do agree you can't get a plain Chicago style because that is just way too much tomato sauce. If you get like a lot of things, like if you get like sausage, peppers, onions ham like if, if you load the toppings in that replaces the amount of sauce then it's pretty good but it's not really a pizza it's more of like a pie yeah that's what i was thinking it's more like a complete well it's not even deep dish it's like deep dish times two isn't it kind of thing it's really thick but so you've yeah. got new york style chicago style detroit style new york is the one that's more akin to like how europeans would have pizza what are there any others um, in america are there any other styles? no new york new york's pretty distinct like i mean i get i think when you think of how europeans would mostly eat pizza i mean i guess it depends you're talking fast food or you're talking like because if you go to a pizzeria in europe you're most likely getting like napoli style well, like the right? thin like the like thin neapolitan yeah like with a fluffy crust but like it's thin base but like it's, it's thin. Got really it's like got the brick puffy, oven yeah like that's what you're going to get most of the time in Europe. But like a Pizza Hut pizza, I guess, is in a European like thin crust Pizza Hut pizza, I guess, is most comparable comparable to a New York's, like, I guess. But it's still pretty distinct because they tend to be like big slices. You're like buying by the slice, like a single slice concept kind of thing. Yeah. Is there any others? And the, Does like the San dough. Francisco have like a hole in the middle of it or something? <laughs> Where are we going with this? You want your like glory hole pizza? Is that what you need? Oh, I'm taking no- I'm taking notes. But okay, yeah, do, do tell me. There's yeah. like there brick oven is is like a pretty like brick oven pizza, but that's more like Neapolitan pizza. I think that's now Neap- Neapolitan ice cream. That's something. Never see it anymore. We did <laughs> so well talking about sports. <laughs> On this I, like, I, I, I was near the end. Of, like, I thought we were like, okay, let's have a look at the time. Doing pretty well here. This might be a sport only podcast. Nope. Absolutely not. Wow. It's lockdown. Got to talk about food. There's Mexican pizza. How does that? We work? have that here. It's kind of just like a big tortilla. And then you just throw toppings on with some cheese. Is, is it actually Mexican or is that the Americans making a pizza and saying it's Mexican? I don't know. I'm going to probably go with the latter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the places you get it here are authentic Mexican restaurants, but I'm sure they probably just have adapted to making something that people will like. <laughs> Because the place I've had it is is like a super traditional taco shop. Okay. Taco Bell. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little it's a little place you go to, just like uh... Panda Express. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Eddie, this actually brings up an interesting point. You've ordered food and then just thrown it out completely and not eaten it. I don't think I've ever done that in my life. 
uh, with takeaway. I've done it once or twice, I think, with like Chinese, where it's Indian turned up. Well. I've done it once with sushi, where the sushi turned up, and it was just like, no, this is like this. This is a this is just me destroying my stomach to eat whatever this nonsense is. Uh, and yeah, Indian, I've done it with too, where I mean, Indian, like Indian is the gamble. Yeah, I think that's like the ultimate gamble. Indian yeah. food. There was such a good sushi place by Garden Nord, I think. I think that's where it was. It was so good. <laughs> I, for those not familiar with Paris, I know that's why. That's why I say Garden Nord is um, not a not great. <laughs> it's not teeming with Japanese people. I'll put it that way, and uh, it's not where I would seek out. Uh, sushi by any stretch of the imagination no yeah. i agree it's not like i went to garden Nord and stepped out and was like now where can i get me some oddly sushi? enough oddly <laughs> enough the only reason you go to garden Nord is to get to london <laughs> for me anyway but and and i would i would imagine any sushi place look i don't live that far from there so it's kind of in my area i can't think of any really good sushi places around me um and for the most part, the sushi I see in like this direct area is kind of like buffet, all you can eat style sushi, which like isn't terrible, but it's definitely not good. Like uh, there's not, Paris is not a great place for sushi. I mean, I play in that Japanese softball league and according to them, there are only two worthwhile sushi places in Paris. Like, oh, and and only like three Japanese restaurants that they consider to be in any way traditional. They get really annoyed because most of the sushi places or most of the Japanese restaurants are run by Chinese people and it really annoys them. I bet. <laughs> Which just always makes me think of, they, compl they complain about this a lot, but it always makes me think of South Park. <laughs> with, the oh, city, with the city with walk. With the city walk and then the Japanese... <laughs> um... What, what's but just in general just whenever they're ranting about like chinese run japanese restaurants and i just think ah like, oh, fucking mongolians <laughs> that is that's a fantastic episode like one of the best bits is when they pour when he tries to stop the mongolians by pouring the sweet and sour pork on them <laughs> <laughs> oh dear well, any other uh, topics from the week that need to be brought up? No. <laughs> okay. No. That's, that's that then, I guess. No. Although I will say we should start getting back into a bit of horse racing mode soon. Because in a few weeks' time, we have the greatest jumps festival of the year in the form of the Cheltenham Festival. Yeah, we're also we're not that far away from the boldest prediction ever, right? Like uh, Tiger Roll versus the field, the match, the match we've all been dying to watch. It's four <laughs> miles four. Can Tiger Roll <laughs> defeat it. his thirty nine opponents? <laughs> it should be like like a movie, like takes them on one on one. Like each one of them gets a one fence v Tiger Roll. But no, you're right. Uh, not. Actually, the richest, Nuts. the richest race in the world is the Dubai World Cup tomorrow, right? Saudi, no, the Saudi Cup. Oh, is that oh, okay? Uh, it's either today or I think it's tomorrow or Saturday, one or the other, Friday or Saturday. 
So, um, Frank, another thing as well is uh, Boris Johnson announces on Monday how the UK will be coming out of lockdown. And I think it's going to be like a really long timeline. So you're probably going to get an idea of the feasibility of Ascot because he's already come Is that out what he's going to lead off with? Because, yeah, he's <laughs> going to come out and he's going to say like, right, I know I've got some guys in Arizona. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, he's... um. So basically, they've said that it's irreversible what happens now. So when we come out, we're not going back in ever again. Ever. Wow. Again. So ever. That is ever. Ever again. That is a bold He said it's going to be cautious. He said it's going to be cautious, but irreversible. So those, you're going to find out about Ascot pretty, pretty soon, I think. You have to. I understand the sentiment behind that, but... That's the kind of quote that would be can be your legacy as a politician, either because you stick to it as the world collapses and people are dying everywhere, or because you reverse it and you look like an idiot for having gone totally against what you've said. Not that I think Boris Johnson would care at all about being inconsistent and flip-flopping, but... Oh, don't worry. British people will be vaccinated, so it's other people dying, and Britain's very used to seeing other people dying. <laughs> so we'll be fine. Good news. Yeah, somebody's. All right. Well, I guess that wraps things up. We'll just have to wait for Boris Johnson and see what's what. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed for Sam and for Escott. Thanks. Yeah. I don't but it, I'm gonna say if I had to bet I'm betting the field at the Grand National, and I'm betting we don't meet up <laughs> at Royal Ascot. Well, you are the least likely to make an appearance. No, right? I'm the most likely because I'm vaccinated. Been... Right, but the concept of opening the borders, even if you're vaccinated, the idea that Great Britain or the EU will have completely opened borders by then. If but if they open borders and they say, do we bring Frank in or do we bring Eddie in? They say, bring the guy who's oh. been vaccinated. I was going to say Eddie's already in. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, it's not in the EU anymore, right? So there will be a shut yeah. border. Um, but I do have a British passport. So I think I can kind of get back no matter what, if I really need to. Uh, but uh, it will be... I wouldn't rule out the concept of us at least meeting up uh, at Escot, maybe not being allowed to attend. And who Wait, knows? So you want me to fly all the way to London yeah. just so meeting I can stand outside Ascot with you? <laughs> no, not you, though. This is why I'm saying you are the less likely, because obviously for any of us in the UK or for me in Paris, it might make sense as a, oh, I'll, I'll make the trip to London to like meet up and then just watch the races together. That would be more tempting, especially considering I just haven't traveled for a year now. Um, but he doesn't want you to come, Frank. Yeah. It's going to be really awkward when he posts yeah. pictures of who are actually like. there. <laughs> oh no, it's it's full lockdown still, uh, Frank. But no, I read it's it's fine. No, 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 it's still full lockdown. Like, no one's allowed in or out. You just hear the horses that go right to left. <laughs> Uh, yes, as Frank, as Frank and I famously were told once when leaving Ascot, the right to left versus left to right 
one of the things Americans have messed up. Frank and your CTE even rem- in the movies. Your- yeah. Yeah. We were we were lectured by an uh, uh, very pleasantly. I know that the term lecture can make people think that it was unpleasant, but we were lectured by a an elderly gentleman who was uh, intrigued by these two Americans on the train ride back from Ascot, and he told us how he'd been basically attending the races there for I know, it was like fifty years, sixty years, and we said we'll beat that. <laughs> <laughs> And he gave a lot of credit to Americans in American horse racing, but then did say one thing that they consistently mess up, including in, did we remember the scene from My Fair Lady? Which, surprisingly enough, didn't instantly spring to mind for either of us. But in My Fair Lady, they have the horses run the wrong way around Ascot when they go to watch the racing at Ascot because they go the, what is the more traditional American direction of uh, anti-clockwise counterclockwise yeah, counterclockwise had to think in my mind which was counterclockwise and which was clockwise yeah the more traditional way he's of also the one backwards. who told us he's also the one who told us about the world series and why it's called the world series yeah. learned two things that day from that old That's gentleman you got your little nugget of information yeah yeah what a guy Hopefully he's been vaccinated. (laughs) All right, well, talk to you boys later. See ya.